Picking up in verse 15, why don't you read with me and, and trust as I insert the name of Jesus in the place of the pronoun he, just so that we have some clarity as it is to whom we're speaking of. That Jesus is the image of the invisible God. That Jesus is the firstborn of all creation. For by Jesus all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible. Whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created through Jesus and for Jesus. And Jesus is before all things and in Jesus all things hold together. And Jesus is the head of the body, the church. Jesus is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in everything Jesus might be preeminent. For in Jesus all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell, and through Jesus to reconcile to Jesus all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of the cross of Jesus. I love movies. I don't know if you like movies. Uh, there are some of the guys at our church that have gotten together from time to time to go see movies at the theater here in Lake Jackson, the miniplex as I like to refer to it. And uh, if you are a movie goer, you know that there are lots of options when you walk into the theater. Uh, one of those options is for you to decide how you're going to see your movie. Will you see it in two dimensions or will you see it in three dimensions? And when you go see a movie, especially one of the summer blockbusters, uh, you want to make sure that that movie is seen in 3D. Now that's a little bit different in 2018 than it happened to be in the early 90s and late 90s when, when I was at the age where I could finally drive to the theater. Because for me to see a movie in multiple dimensions as a 16 or 17 year old, it meant that I would walk into the theater and that I would purchase the ticket and they would hand me a pair of white glasses, just so I'm not alone, anyone remember the white paper glasses, and they had one red lens and one blue lens, because evidently to see things in multiple dimensions you had to look patriotic. And I remember we would sit down in the theater and we would watch the movie and it never seemed as if there was anything really coming out. Like you could trick yourself mentally into the idea that this was a 3D experience. But in all honesty, you're just watching a movie in red and blue. It's not like that now. Now they give you glasses that teenagers like to steal. Uh, and when you go into the theater, you sit down, and when whatever person who is on the screen does whatever they do, it's as if that is happening in your presence. So if you see one of the Marvel movies, Marvel is this small, small fraction of what Disney does. And if you are to go see a Marvel movie, when Captain America throws his shield, it is as if that shield is being thrown directly over your head. If the mighty Thor swings his hammer, it's as if that hammer is being swung at you. When Iron Man fires his repulsor rays, because that's what they are, they're not lasers. It's as if those lasers are being fired at you. When the Hulk smashes things, 
you feel like you're the one being smashed. It's you not seeing things on a flat screen, but you being part of something. I think when we look through the Gospels, if we're not careful, we can read the story of Jesus and we can see it very flatly. That Jesus, and we even could tell the story, that he was born to an impoverished couple named Mary and Joseph. That Jesus, after he was born to them, would live 30 years as a carpenter. However we understand that. Learning under his father. But at the age of 30, he would become a rabbi who would begin to walk around teaching men and women and those who would listen something else. That Jesus would have these 12 dwarves that followed him everywhere he happened to go. That when Jesus would go the places with the disciples, they would always wonder what exactly is it that he's saying when he tells these stories. We would even say, if we included in the story of Jesus, that he had, that this Jesus was crucified. And because you're, uh, if you are a believer in Jesus, you would make sure that you stated that you believed in what we call the resurrection. However, even if we're just to look at the story of Jesus there with all of the miraculous that takes place, it would be very easy for us to miss that this Jesus who we worship is what we call pre-existent. That this Jesus has always been. And that this Jesus who we worship is Lord. Now, that's a very unique phrase because I grew up in a church culture where they wanted you to make sure that you made Jesus the Lord of your life. That, that became popular. And it made sense, in a sense. Until I began to think... Either Jesus is Lord or he's not. You don't make Jesus Lord no more than you make water wet. Jesus reigns and rules over all things. We don't get to declare in any way that we believe that Jesus is God. Jesus is God and we get to surrender to that. That Jesus is the image of the invisible God means that when we look at Jesus... When we consider Jesus, we are considering God himself for us to think of Jesus. So if we want to know what God loves, a very good thing for us to do as believers is look in the Bible and see what Jesus loves. If you want to know what God hates, then look and see what Scripture says about what Jesus seems to hate. If you want to know what causes God's heart to hurt and what would cause God to weep, then see where Jesus weeps. Because Jesus is fully God. And He is Lord whether you like that or not. But in that, we see an invitation An invitation for us to live in a way that says that we believe that Jesus is Lord particularly. 
and that we understand the fullness of that lordship. The first thing that we see is that Jesus is Lord of creation. So if you're a note taker that's, that's in your paper that you were handed in your worship God, Jesus is the Lord of creation. We see that in uh, verses 15 through 17. Let's read those again. He is the image of the invisible God. He is the firstborn of all creation. For by him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created through him and for him. And he is before all things, and in him all things hold together. So the first word that we see there that we would get hung up on is the word firstborn. Because we all know how firstborns work. Just so we, we know, if you're in this room and you're the firstborn, could you raise your hand? So for all of us in this room who have our hands up, we know that our parents love us more than they do the rest of them. That's just how it works. But for the Jewish people, the idea of the firstborn, yes, you would definitely attach it to the older child. But in that attachment, it was not simply to say that this child was born first. It was, more importantly, a statement of that person's authority. Because the oldest child in the home, everything that they did, they spoke on behalf of their father. So when we see that Jesus is the firstborn of all creation, we see that he has authority over every aspect of creation. Everything that people have made, Jesus in essence has made. Everything that we have distorted, Jesus created in purity. Everything that we have stay that we look at in the natural order, Jesus made that. Jesus is the Lord of creation in that all that we have he made. All that we know he made. Apart from him, one scripture would say, nothing would, was made that has been, everything was made that has been made that was by Jesus. For by Jesus all things created in heaven and on earth, visible and visible, were the thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities. The spiritual realm, the spiritual realm Jesus dips into. There is nothing that exists in all of creation that Jesus did not have a hand in. Because if there happened to be that thing, then Jesus would not be Lord of all. So when we see that all of these things were made by Jesus in purity, we see that sin intervenes and causes distortion there. All things created through Jesus and for Jesus. So so looking at the text, as we consider Jesus as this scriptural Lord of creation... It says that every single thing, which includes every single person on this planet, in human history, was made by Jesus and for Jesus. So, for every one of us who would say that we will not have anything to do with what God does... 
Because we are objects of creation, we will, in fact, have something to do with what God does for eternity. Let me help you out. The way that we understand this as followers of Jesus, as people who take the Scripture seriously, every person on earth, for those who will walk with Jesus, who at some point in their life will realize that He is the Lord of all things, and we surrender our lives to Him for forever... You will make much of Jesus. You will declare that he is good as a divine recipient of his mercy. You will make much of Jesus in heaven forever and ever, forever, ever. That's what you will do. But for those of us who do not place our faith in Jesus, who do not come to right relationship with Jesus... Because you were made for Jesus and by Jesus forever, you will make much of Jesus as an eternal recipient of his divine justice. Jesus is Lord of all things. Jesus made all things. And as the Lord of creation, we see that Jesus is before all things and in him all things hold together. This room does not spin into utter chaos because Jesus holds gravity in his hands. Jesus, we we do not only see that Jesus is the Lord of creation. The second thing that we see is that Jesus, in verses 18 through 20, he's the Lord of salvation. And we actually see how that fleshes itself out. That Jesus is the head of the body of the church. That Jesus is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead. That in everything he may be supreme. For in Jesus all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell. And through Jesus to reconcile to himself all things. Whether on earth or in heaven making peace by the blood of his cross. Jesus is the head of the church. So what that lets us know as people who would say that we have relationship with Jesus... And as people who gather together underneath the umbrella of church is that Jesus ultimately is the, the great shepherd for us. That Jesus is the, the lead elder for us. That we as a faith family gather together and that we have a group of men who have been given the designation of elders. Ultimately we believe that Jesus leads us and guides us and directs us and that we understand that the church is to be what it is because ultimately of Jesus. Now, we have to be careful with this word church because it, it can spin into craziness. Because this does not mean that we as, as Grace Bible Church have to follow the rules and regulations of every other church. That's why God distinguishes and designs various bodies of faith. Like That's why we're here and we have our for lack of a better word, church government. That's why FBC Lake Jackson has their church government. That's why Brazos Point has their... And so on and so forth. And in so being a church, the reason that God would provide distinct direction is because there's lunacy in churches everywhere. And we do not want the people from Westboro, those lunatics on the news, because they call themselves a church... We do not want them to be allowed to come in and give direction to who our faith family is. 
the reason that we see the distinguishing of churches is so that God will govern this and so that God will place us as embassies here and we can look at the scriptures as to who Jesus is and we hold fast and hold tight to who Christ is and we would look and see what is true and what is false, what is light, what is dark. But ultimately, Jesus is the head of the body of the church. Jesus is the head of this church. And our growth takes place because of Jesus. Now, the word growth is a super scary word for churches. Because we have to ask, does growth mean that when we walk in this room, that there are hundreds and maybe thousands of people? Well, numerical growth should take place. And there are some who would even say, well, God doesn't really care about numbers, to which I would reply, there's a book of the Bible called Numbers. God counts. And he cares about those of us who are part of this family of faith, caring about those around us who are far from him. And in all honesty, if we gather together here every Sunday, and you can quote word for word the entirety of the Bible along with Calvin's Institutes, if you can quote Martin Luther in German, Yet you do not care about lost people. You have a misunderstanding of what it means to be a Christian. Jesus as the head of the body of the church shows light and shines light on us. And that light is not just on us. It is sent through us. Do we care about the church? Chad, you don't know my neighbor. My neighbor's crazy. They think you're crazy too. So we consistently live out light. Jesus is the head of the body of the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead. So we see Jesus as Lord of salvation because he is the firstborn from the dead. Now again, the word firstborn is not so much about the oldest child at your home. It's about authority. So Jesus has authority over death. The firstborn from the dead, that in everything he may be supreme. So where do we see Jesus making statements over creation? Where do we see Jesus saving people? I love, old, I love stories in the New Testament, how they bring to light what takes place in in the epistles. Oh, one of my favorite stories to look at is when Jesus is asleep on a boat. And as the, the boat floats across the water, Jesus has told them, we're going to the other side. And where are they going? Well, to the other side, because that's where Jesus said we're supposed to go. And the scriptures say in Mark 4 that other boats follow them. So Jesus and the disciples are in this boat. The Nina, the Penta, the Santa Maria are in a boat crossing over with them. A great squall comes upon the... Listen, guys. That's really good history humor, and I do not appreciate your lack of following me. As they're crossing across the water, a great squall comes upon it. That's a spiritual word. This, a storm with demonic presence comes upon the water. 
When this takes place, the disciples go to get Jesus. So this storm is bad. How do we know this is a really bad storm? We have a group of fishermen who have spent their lives on water who go to ask a carpenter for advice. When they go to get Jesus, in my head, I think they send Thomas. Thomas gets to Jesus. Jesus, Peter says we're going to drown. I doubt it. Jesus walks to the boat, edge of the boat. And when he does, he speaks over the water and he says what? Peace be still. When he says this, the water becomes calm. But it does not simply become calm, it becomes dead calm. He has saved these men, he has interceded on their behalf. But the water becomes dead calm, which is problematic for those of us who've ever been on water. If you've ever been in a boat, you know that if a storm comes upon the water, it's going to throw your boat back and forth, back and forth, like a pendulum, if you will. But when the storm is over, that presence, that shifting, is still on the water. Back and forth, back and forth but in immediate immediately Jesus at the edge of the boat says peace be still the water stops flat and we love this I mean if there is ever a New Testament story that we as the church have taken and told and retold and sometimes told out of context is that Jesus calms storms And I believe that if you're a follower of Jesus, there is definitely secondary truth for you that yes, Jesus calms the storms of our life. If you believe that, just let me know you're with me on this cloudy morning in Lake Jackson by raising your hand. That's great. If your hand's not up, that's okay because I thank you for being truthful. However, what we miss when that's where we land on that story is this. That Jesus is in just as much control when the water is raging as he is when it becomes still. He's Lord of your storm. And whatever you walk through, you walking through that is for you to call out for him. For you to need him, for you to surrender to him as the Lord of your life. Because your immediate salvation or your eternal salvation is in his hands. But so is your hope in the moment of need. Jesus is the Lord of salvation. He's the firstborn from the dead that in everything he may be supreme. For in Jesus all of, all of the fullness of God was pleased to dwell. So, in Jesus, we see God fully. And as the Lord of salvation, when we see him fully, we see because he is fully God, he is able to do what takes place in verse 20. Through him to reconcile to himself all things. So Jesus is going to reconcile. That's a Bible word for reunite, bring together. Take what was running the wrong direction and give it the right direction. Whether on earth or in heaven. Making peace by the blood of his cross. So the Lord of salvation intervenes on our behalf. 
ultimately, primarily, by the making of peace, by the shedding of his blood. Why does this matter? This matters because Old Testament teaching tells us that without the shedding of blood, there's no forgiveness of sin. This matters because every one of us are frozen in our own sin and the, the reason that we walk in fear and in weakness is because that's exactly what sin wants us to do. That's the reason why we, even those of us who are believers, still struggle with, I cannot do that, I will not do that, I can't believe I did that, oh my gosh, I did that. And the victory that we have from God is, as we have spent much of our lives singing, victory in Jesus. Because there is peace that needs to be made. And if we're just working with words, if we need peace to be made, that means that we are in effect at war with God apart from Jesus. Making peace by the, his, the shedding of his blood on the cross. Jesus is Lord of creation. 18 through 20 show us that he is also the Lord of salvation. But for us to understand that salvation fully, we must follow up with who you are and who I am in light of this Lord of salvation. Because Jesus is also the Lord of reconciliation. Verses 21 through 23. You, as you. This is the first shift, pronoun-wise. Major shift. This is from... Jesus is awesome to you are a problem. And I'm a problem. You were alienated and hostile in mind. Doing evil deeds. You see Paul setting up a pattern of threes. You were an alien. You were all like, nope, I'm from earth. Planet earth. You were hostile in mind. I've never even been to a European hotel room. I was doing evil deeds. And we begin to try to coerce the world to think that we have not done anything evil whatsoever. I'm a good person. We love to think that we're good people. And then we begin as, as those who have not dealt with our sin or those currently who do not want to deal with our sin to equate our goodness with our actions. I'm a good person. I never pushed a little old man in the street. I'm a good person. I've never stomped on a puppy's paw. I'm a good person. I've never reached into a goldfish bowl, yanked the fish out, and said, breathe, sucker. I'm a good person. We love to think we're good. Imagine that with me on stage I have... A couple of people. One of those is a fourth grader. I, I have one in my house, but I can never decide how tall they are. Th there. We'll go fourth grade. Hobbit right there. Big, hairy, hobbit feet. He is a fourth grader, and he is good in every way that a fourth grader can be good. He's good athletically. He can hit a baseball. He can catch a football. 
He can do a crossover dribble with a basketball, which is very difficult for children and even more difficult for hobbits. He's good. He's good academically. On the back of his mother's carriage, there's a bumper sticker. My child is an honor student at Middle Earth Elementary. He is so good. He is also pretty good with the girls. On Valentine's Day, these girls show up with him to talk to him, and they've got chocolate, not that chalky heart candy that you're all buying right now for your children because you don't love them enough. He's good. He's good in every way. On the other side, I've got a college junior. He's also good. Good athletically, good academically, and he's also pretty good with girls, which is proven by his beautiful girlfriend that goes everywhere with him. Both of them show up at Grace Bible. Fourth graders in here on one of the Sundays where we bring the kids to worship. College sophomore shows up at 1041 like every one of the rest of you do. I'm coming after you regularly. And either you're going to work through it or I am, but we're going to work through it together. They're standing there side by side. All of this fourth grader's life, he has been told that he is good. Proven by the handful of chocolates that he holds. So he walks over to the college junior's girlfriend and he's written her a poem and this is about to go bad. Because every poem should start like that. Do you like Chick-fil-A? I hear they're owned by Christians. Will you be my bae? And when he gives her this poem... The college sophomore challenges him. College junior challenges him to a UFC-style cage match to the death. And both of them go into the cage. No one is wondering what's going to happen here. No one is thinking, will this college junior lose and tap out? Will this little, little person do anything to win the victory? No, we know he's going to step on him over and over and over. Will Dumbledore swoop in and rescue? No! Their goodnesses do not equate. So we look around rooms like this, and, and uh, to be fair, rooms maybe like the place that you work. I don't do what she does. I don't say what he did. I don't act the way that they do. I'm a way better dad than that person. That's lateral goodness. And if you can't find someone in a room like this that you're better than in some way, we need to lock you up somewhere. But this is not a comparison between you and other people. You don't get to heaven on your good. The actual scriptures say that your righteous acts are... They're like filthy rags. When you compare yourself to this holy God, this Lord of creation, Lord of salvation, and this even Lord of reconciliation, there needs to be some intervention. He has reconciled you. Jesus, in his body of flesh, by his death. So we see Jesus moving you from an alien who is hostile and doing evil deeds. Paul uses a wordplay. And he says this, that Jesus presents you as blameless. That Jesus presents you as above reproach. 
That Jesus presents you as holy. That Jesus has reconciled you so that those three things can be present. And apart from relationship with Jesus, no matter how good you are, you are foreign to God, far from Him, and you are full of evil deeds. But in Jesus, Him taking hold of you and presenting you to God. Holy. But what about the dumb things that I've done? Blameless. Above reproach. Your hope and my hope and the hope of the world is Jesus alone. And now we as church people shake our heads to that. Yes, I affirm, I approve. But if we do not care about people who aren't part of the family of faith, do we really believe that? Do you see what eternity is? We look through scriptures and we see this idea of of hell. This literal picture of being separate from God and in flames and darkness forever and ever. Are we concerned about our neighbors going there? Their only hope is Jesus. Just like yours and mine is. But you've been sent and I've been sent and we've been sent. And if we don't believe we're sent, even if we're really good people who claim to believe the whole Bible, we've not believed the whole Bible. Go make disciples of all nations, teaching them to obey everything I've commanded you. Does the Bible say that anywhere else? Yeah, all over. Do we care about lost people? Because Jesus is Lord over them. He's called them to repent. And apart from Him, they are aliens and hostile in mind doing evil deeds. And if you don't care about that, you may be too. You may be too. But there's hope. If indeed you continue in the faith, stable and steadfast, not shifting from the hope of the gospel that you heard. What is the gospel? It's the good news of Jesus. It's that freedom is Jesus. Jesus. I was on a roller coaster in Georgia one time. It was called the Deja Vu. And the Deja Vu is a ride that... It's it's French word for you're about to do a lot of things. And it would send you back. Shoot you backwards. Then it would shoot you forward through a loop, through a twist. And then you would stop. I'm watching for hours one day. Because that's how long the line was. It was a Saturday. And I'm watching every time the, the ride would freeze for four seconds. And you could count down four, three, two, one. And then it drops. We get near the front of the line. And I'm with two other friends. And you see that the ride, you only have two people sitting side by side. So that means that one of us is about to ride with some rando. And you all know how weird that feels. So you play paper, rock, scissors to see who rides with a random person. 
I lost. And they put me on this ride with a guy who I'm not sure at what level, but at some point he has been um, incarcerated. Uh, And I remember sitting beside him on the coaster and looking and like they give you a belt and it goes across your lap. Click, zoop. And then there's this bar you reach up for. Click, 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 click. Lock. The person in this room, raise your hand. Let me know. You're with me. If you're not a coaster person in this room, you probably won't raise your hand. See what I did there? So, I look at the trained professional, otherwise known as a 14-year-old girl. And I say to her, is this thing on correctly? To which she replies, I don't know. That's not cool. Not cool at all. Uh, My body's about to defy gravity. So, the ride shoots backwards. And then it shoots forward through the loop, through the twist. And then it stops. My cheeks are on the back row. And I counted down like I've counted down the whole day. Four, three, two, one. And it didn't move. I counted again. Four. Three, two, one. It did not move. My riding partner has pulled a file out that he snuck on the coaster and he's trying to saw his way out. We sat there for 32 minutes. They were yelling really smart roller coaster instructions like, hang in there. In my head, they were looking for the guy who could control all roller coasters. And I believed that he was eating a funnel cake. And then you feel the rod click. And it slowly begins to move backwards. But we're still locked in. We were stuck. But it's moving slowly backwards. It doesn't go all the way back. You, you then hear someone walking up these steps beside you. Cocoon, 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 cocoon. And when they get to us... He lifts a flap on my harness. And there's a keyhole there that I did not know existed. Because I really don't think about how things work. And he pulls out this key that was the length of at least the east side of Texas. Maybe the whole state. And he inserts it in the hole. And he pops a lock. A lock that I did not understand and in all honesty did not realize was there. He then lifts the harness. And there's this other person there. And he says to me, she'll show you where to go. They did this with every single person on the coaster. Because we were stuck and we didn't realize we were stuck. We were locked and had no idea that we were locked in. And we definitely didn't know where to go. Jesus is the Lord of creation, the Lord of salvation, the Lord of reconciliation. He meets us in the middle of our stuckness because you were stuck in sin before you ever realized you were. He, he begins to move you towards himself. That's what John says. He draws you to himself. 
meeting you and, and, and freeing you when you, in effect, did not know you needed to be freed. And I think lots of us would say that's my story, right? And then as he helps you up, he shows you where to go. Shows you how to walk. So when we look at this Jesus of the Bible, I, I, I never want us to miss this. He's always been, he's for you, he cares for you, he loves you. Salvation alone is in his hands. But as part of the church, he's the head of you and he's given direction for how you're to live and he wants you to be part. I've seen reconciliation take place in those who are far from him. Because God's going to save them, but God chooses to use people like us to, to see that fully manifest itself. So, so do this for me today. I just I want us to bow our heads and it's good. Maybe you're here and you've never trusted Jesus. You would even admit after hearing this, hey, I'm locked in sin and I can't do anything about that. But Jesus, I would love for you to free me from my sin and give me life. And Even a desire to think about that is from his coercion. But if that's what God's doing in you right now, then they're, they're, that connect card that you were given earlier, please let us know. You want to talk to someone about what it means to have a relationship with Jesus. What it means that Jesus will be drawing you to himself and saving you from your sin, which leads to death, to a relationship with him, which is life, and him showing you how to go. Secondly, maybe you are part of the church, but you're not practicing as the church. To think through how to care for your lost friends is, is, is really beneficial. To see these our life groups for what they are as, as places where we can pray and consider all that God teaches us, not for the sake of us, but for the sake of, of Him showing Himself to the world around us. Like uh, That's important for us to do. They're called life groups for a reason. We don't want to add new things to your calendar. We want you to be part of the life of this fellowship. Maybe you just need to pray for friends today. I'm not sure what God's doing or, or why God's doing or how he's even doing it. But I do know this, that um, he's close to us and he speaks to us and he draws us. And, and hope is in Jesus of creation, salvation, and reconciliation. So I pray that our lives are on full display of that. Feel free to spend time in prayer this morning. The front of this room is great for prayer. If you need to just kneel at your chair, I trust that God is big enough to be at the back of the seats, the back seats too. If you need me, I'm over here to, to your right hand side. I'd love to pray with you and for you. Jesus, you're good to us, and we thank you for today. I thank you for your word, which is always true. I thank you that it, it has a serious tone for us, and I pray that the seriousness of Scripture will. God, your care for lost people will be something that we care about. Your desire for us to follow you tightly will be something that matters. 
We ask all this in Jesus' name. Just sing with us.